Good morning. Good morning. That sounds better. Almost felt rude if you if you don't greet me back. So this uh, what a incredible moment and just an incredible last week was just. It's always good to. I'm not saying it's easy to fast. Okay, maybe for you, but not for me. But the results of fasting is so overwhelming. When we put things aside and say, Lord, you are our focus. I want to encourage you, although we do it as a movement, you know, once a year we do this. It's a good habit in your own life to have moments where you fast. Take a day to fast. Take an afternoon. And in that moment, get into the Word of God and get on your knees and see God's face. And uh, what an honorable thing. I love what our international leadership with this whole, you know, moment. And as we're busy preaching on the series of miracles don't you love just the definition to be put to miracles? Because miracles is a topic that over the ages people have spoken about. But many times it's misunderstood or misused. And the ultimate goal of miracles is that he be, may be known. And I pray that in this season that Christ will become more real to you than the person sitting next to you. That Christ will become more real to you than the storms we face. That Christ will be more real to us than potholes, and load shedding, and all the stuff that occupies our minds, may Christ occupy our minds more than those things. May we live in a time where we are vigilant, that we are careful as born-again believers, what we participate in, what we occupy ourselves with, what we get involved in, how we speak, and because death and life is in the word of our tongue. And we need to be careful that we don't start to defile ourselves by what we speak. I have to watch myself all the time and that we create environments where Christ can move in our lives. Really appreciate, I mean, Jonathan and Lindry and the leadership and the elders just for this opportunity to share with you this morning um, as we continue. And as a part of a family, you'll realize that we believe in raising leaders. Nettie did an incredible job last week speaking on the miracle of, you know, Jesus healing the paralyzed man. And we're going to continue this morning. And guess what I'm speaking on this morning? Walking on water. Exactly the song continuing here. All right, so we're going to keep on singing here. So we're going to focus specifically in John 6, verse 16 to 21, where Jesus walked on the water and we're looking at John. But I want to just give you a quick background. John, the book of John, is part of the Gospels. Now, many people say it's the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. That's not accurate. There's only one Gospel. It is the Gospel according to Matthew. It's the Gospel according to John. It's the Gospel according to Luke. And it's the Gospel. It's one Gospel. It's not different Gospels. But it's different people writing down different places. They see things and they have different angles on, on, on the same parables. And some of them have written about parables that others have not written about. And many of them are writing about the same parable, but the purpose of their writing was a little bit different. Therefore, the dynamics of what they wrote or what they included in their parable or their writings was different. Okay? So keep that in mind. All these gospels focus on what? The good news. 
What is the good news? It's not a concept. It's a person. It's let him be known. They focus on the life of Jesus on earth, how we lived, what he did, and how he has come as a fulfillment of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And from the Old Testament, there was a proclamation of a Messiah to come. And in the New Testament, we see the Messiah. But keep in mind, you now look backward and you little would have a preview of why did they, you read the Bible from a place where we know Jesus died. They did not know. They were awaiting a Messiah. And here's Jesus coming into their world. Okay. And they not immediately, oh, that's Jesus. No, they kind of discovering there is a promise, but is this really him? This is the context that we see here. You'll find when Jesus came in and he started to proclaim just not just who he is, but his new kingdom, there was an immediate tension between the governing authorities, the religious leaders, and just Jesus' lifestyle was contradicting everything they believe and everything they do. Turmoil. It was not just, just because who Jesus is brought this contradiction and this tension between them. Now, I can't take you much deeper into this, but in John verse, chapter 5 to 10, what you will find is there are four feasts in those five chapters, and Jesus did not just do these random miracles. Nothing in the Bible is just a random verse, a random chapter, a random miracle, a random parable. All of them are all linked to project and to proclaim a similar message in different ways, opening up, exposing to us who Jesus is. So in the midst of these five chapters, you find four feasts and you'll find all the parables, all the miracles will link to either of these feasts. And Jesus was using these feasts to expose and proclaim who he really is. Now in chapter six, we're gonna focus on one of these feasts and you'll find it's the Passover. And we have past weekend and, and some of us have a certain definition of this and we're gonna look at that. So let's turn to John six, verse 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Father, we thank you that you would take this scripture, this moment, almost like would you Give us a glimpse, just us being in the boat right there and really getting the message, Lord, of what you would say to us this morning. Pray your blessing on your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll find the same parable, the exact same parable in Mark 6 and also in Matthew 14. And like I said, it's the same message, but there's different nuances, there's different emphasis that these different writers were bringing to this. You'll find in Mark 6 and Matthew 14 that it gives a little bit of a better understanding. When Jesus said they got into the boat, he said to his disciples, get into the boat. You find that actually, actually the correct emphasis here, the correct tone was, it says immediately he made his disciples to get into the boat. What is going on here? Why is he making them get in the boat? Almost like get away from this. Now, from what? Here's the clue. 
Verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to take him, Jesus, by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew. Here the crowd comes and they are forcefully want to make Jesus king. It's not like you have a choice. We're going to make you king. We're going to take you, put you on a throne, and we want you to do something for us. And Jesus said to his disciples, get away from this crowd immediately. This is what's going on here. You see, remember now, it's Passover. And these feasts are going on. So what is Jesus saying about Passover? What is Passover? Passover feast back in the days was them celebrating God's deliverance of the Israelites from the powers of Egypt. And he was leading them. He was feeding them. And he was taking them through the desert. And then they were crossing the Jordan into Canaan. It's a whole concept of freedom that God brought for the Israelites. And now they are after Israel was freed from Egypt, they still celebrating Passover, thinking back of what Jesus did for them. Okay, you get the context here. For this to understand, for us to understand, understand, why would they want to make him king? Because here's the miracle, and next week Jonathan will continue speaking about feeding the 5,000. But I have to go back so you get the correct context here. Jesus just fed 5,000 people. That's just the previous passage. So they know this. The Bible says they were coming to Jesus, looking for a sign. And here Jesus comes and he feeds 5,000 people. When is he feeding them? Right at Passover feast. How incredible, you know, just coincident. No. He's coming to them and says, you are, you are celebrating what I did in the past. And you look at Moses and all of that, but you're not realizing I'm standing right in front of you and I'm feeding you. I am the one who fed them. And so from this moment, you look at the Passover and you look at him feeding the 5,000. Remember now, not like you think. They understood history. That's why they celebrate Passover. What are, I, what are they doing? They immediately connecting this guy speaking looks like our new Moses. He's here to help us. Wow, we've been waiting for the prophet. We know Moses back, let this rise. So immediately they were saying, here's Moses, here's our new Moses. We are the Israelites that needs to have deliverance. Here's our answer. Let's force him to be the king, to overthrow the Roman Empire, to come in and start to overrule the religious leaders and set us free. And guess what? We may even get a free meal, so by the way. It's all a predefined selfish ambition that forces Jesus, you need to be our king, go and sit on that throne that is made by human hands. The Jesus they were looking for was not the Jesus that was standing in front of him. He was a different king and they missed it altogether. And Jesus said to his disciples, get away. This understanding is not me and it's not my kingdom. You cannot be part of this. So here the Jesus immediately puts him out there. And we see in verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full of the loaves. Why are you seeking me? Are you really seeking me? Or are you seeking what I do? 
He also cried, why? What are you looking for? Because what you're looking for, I am not that king. I am not that person, and that is not my kingdom, and that's not how I'm going to do things. How many times do you and I miss God by imposing on Jesus who he needs to be? How many times do you and I position ourselves in a place where we say, Lord, I want you to come and sit on this throne that I've made, and I want you to do this for me. And because he does not immediately, he does not appear in the form that we've created, we kind of wonder where Jesus is because the king we are looking for is not that king. That's exactly what was happening here. See, what was Jesus saying to him? He says to his disciples, I've just fed you. I've proven to you. He says, I'm calling you out of your spiritual Egypt. And I'm going to send you across. My desire for you is Canaan, the land of abundance, freedom. But I want you to cross over the water. And as they were crossing the water, the Bible says, and you see an indication of a new passage here, when evening came. Mm. It's using words like, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. What happens in darkness? Uncertainty. I can't see. All those kind of things. And with the darkness, darkness alone was not enough here. A storm, the wind, raised. I mean, suddenly you have a storm and all this uncertainty and you suddenly have them facing a lot of things. When evening came, what was the result? How did they respond? Fear. Friends, as much as we look upon them, how could they fear? I found myself to be them. I found myself many times to be exactly that same person. Not looking down upon them. It's almost like I relate not just with Jesus walking in the water. I more relate with the people sitting here. And it's darkness. Oh, where's Jesus? And I forgot who told me to get into the boat. This is what they're facing. See, the absence of Jesus is the presence of fear. That verse they said, why were they fearing? Jesus had not yet come to them. They were kind of feeling like Jesus is absent. Now, here's the question. Just think about the context. Was Jesus really absent? Or was it more the absence of a conviction and a revelation of the one who sent them? Who he really is? Would he really send you out into a terrible night where you will be destroyed, knowing that you will be, and therefore he sent you right into danger? You see, is it really that when we walk out on the water, when we walk out in our calling, and we step out in business, we step out in family, we step out in relationships, and we step out in obedience, because we obey Jesus, our lives are terribly in danger. See, that's not the truth. Jesus was not absent. It was Jesus allowing them in the midst of a storm and darkness, and when evening came, to face the lack of deep conviction that they would come to the saving knowledge to realize who is Jesus. How's your storm going? How's your darkness going? Is Jesus there? Now some of our storms, some of our darkness is due to our disobedience. I've got good news for you this morning. Repent. Ask Jesus forgiveness. He died on a cross so that you can be forgiven 
and get that out of the way and say, Lord, I'm turning back to you. Because when you turn back to Jesus, I said to somebody, we sometimes think we've moved so far from Jesus and we have to turn back. We have to walk all the way and go and find Jesus. No, when you are walking away from Jesus and you stop and you realize, I'm walking away from Jesus, all he's asking you, repent, turn around, and you'll find him chasing you all the way because Jesus comes on the water to you. He don't ask the boat to come to them. When you turn around, you'll find Jesus right behind you. You don't have to go back and work and find him. You repent, you turn around. He's omnipresent. He's right there. Just repent. If you're in a storm because of your obedience, hold on to the word that was given to you. Hold on to the one who sent you. Hold on to the one you obeyed because your life will not be destroyed. Storms we will face. Storms confront our unbelief. Storms makes us uncertain. Storms has got an incredible positive effect. It brings us to a deeper understanding, a deeper truth of really what's going on on the inside. And that is an amazing moment to say, Lord, I need you. And when we discover God in those deepest, deepest convictions of our soul, that's where true Christianity is birthed. It's not a religious practice. It's a deep conviction of what we believe and therefore we practice. What storm are you facing today? Let's turn on, move forward. It says John 6 verse 19. They saw Jesus on the sea coming to near to the boat and they were frightened. Now, why were they frightened when they looked at Jesus? Well, there's three possible reasons. The first reason is they were not expecting Jesus. And in fact, they're not expecting anybody to walk on water. It's like, this is abnormal. What is Jesus saying? He's now revealing himself, not only that he is the power over provision, he's also the power of all natural forces. The second reason why they were afraid is they were so focused on the storm, they forgot the sign of yesterday. Yesterday. Five days ago, friends, many times our storm blur Jesus' reality of yesterday. And it's moments that we stop and say, stop. Jesus, you were yesterday and the day before and last year. So why would you not be here today? Right here, right moment. And the third reason why they were afraid is because they were not yet at the place where they convinced who Jesus is. Maybe they were still battling with what the crowd was battling with. They were waiting for this king that would arrive and he would literally go and sit on a throne and they would literally make him king and they were kind of, the crowd maybe were right. We should make this guy king because he just fed us and he could help us and they were kind of imposing an idea on Christ and suddenly he appears to be totally different, a different type of king with a different kingdom. And now they were faced with this moment. Do I trust him or do I keep on looking for another savior? How many people on earth today are looking for another Savior while the Savior is visible in front of your eyes? How's your thoughts? Are you deeply convinced that He's really the only King? That He's really the only God? That there is no other? We're living in a confused world that the moment they open up the boundaries of truth, there is no end. There's no turning back. It's at the point of no return. You know, with everybody, I feel like this and you can be this and I feel like this and you can be this. Where is that going to end? Because when you take absolute truth out of people's lives, you open up the walls and you open up everything else to the unsafe world of ever eternal 
uncertainty. Christ is the one that brings certainty. Christ is the one that angers our soul. See, as we listen to this and we look at this, if Jesus does not appear in the form and limitations of our predefined Savior, we easily dismiss the incredible opportunity for a life-changing encounter. Jesus is not going to appear and is not going to be the king that we define. He's going to be the king that he is and he's asking us, put your trust in me. Which means you may not understand everything, but you trust me. It's like a little boy. Trust his dad. He doesn't understand everything, but because that's my dad, I'm getting the airplane. Because that's my dad, I'm getting the car. Remember years back, we went to a world conference and kind of speaking to Jesse about it, and he went to school and just told everybody, we're going to America. He didn't know where the money comes from. He didn't even understand there's a visa needed. He didn't understand you need a pass, but nothing. Why is he going to America? Because mommy and daddy said so. That's it. He didn't understand any detail. See, there's a place where you and I need to be convinced who God is, greater than mommy and daddy, greater than Moses. And so here they're standing, they're facing the fear, and here's the amazing focus of this passage. Verse 20, But Jesus said to them, It is I. It is me. Moses go to Pharaoh and say, Go and rescue my people. Remember our Passover, rescue Egypt? He says, What shall I say to Pharaoh? Who is sending me? And he says, Tell them, the great I am. Not the great provider, not the great deliverer, not the great, he says, the great I am. How do you find the great I am? Great provider provides. Great healer heals. But the great I am puts God in his position that you and I don't predefine Jesus. We submit. We don't describe. We don't define God. He defines us. We submit to the almightiness of it is I Trust me. The turning point in your life is not this moment, that church service, that message. The turning point, the greatest miracle we find here is not so much the feeding and the walking on water and everything else. The greatest miracle with all these incredible miracles that we see is the ultimate miracle. It's when you and I come to a revelation to realize who Jesus is. When our fear turns into faith, when this, the way we live turns into another way we want to live, the way we think, the way we commit, the way we understand relationships, church, everything else is now defined by this turning point. It is I. And the moment they realized this, they were on land. How's that for a miracle? The moment they put Christ at the center of their fears, they were on solid ground immediately. Friends, the moment you and I play with the concept of who Jesus is and we start to play with truth, you allow a world of uncertainty to start to literally control your life. Jesus is the anchor. The revelation of Christ is the greatest miracle we see here. This revelation literally takes the hunger, you know, for earthly food and changes, and it changes into a hunger for God that fills us spiritually that we will never hunger again. He just fed them. 
This thirst for earthly water and satisfaction, I need to drink. And again, I mean, and maybe, you know, after this week, I need to fast on water for about a week and then have a little bit of cool drink. See, there's something about, I can drink this, but I'll be thirsty again. Jesus says, once you have a revelation of me, you will not just drink normal water. You'll be satisfied on the inside of your soul. What makes people do things? What makes people run into wrong relationships? It's an ungodly hunger and an ungodly thirst. And Jesus says, you will never find the end of that till you come to me so that I feed you and so that you feed on my flesh and so that I give you thirst. I fill your thirst. I am your answer. John 6 verse 35 says, For Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 20 to 21 says, And they were glad. Their fear turned into gladness. Why? Because I am got into their boat. The simplicity of this message is, don't row alone. Don't be alone in your boat. Don't face the storms alone. But for you to allow Jesus into your boat, you're going to have to embrace that he is not that king that you're looking for. He is the king that you submit to. He is the great I am that is not defined by human beings. He is the great I am that defines human beings. He is the one that is above your fears, above your limitations, above the things that we seek on earth and the people who are chasing after certain things. He is the God who's standing as my kingdom is different and I'm a different king from this world. He's calling us to our upside down kingdom. Jesus is revealing himself as the one, not Moses, greater than Moses, the one who's been providing from Moses' day. He's taking them through the water, over the water. Again, he crosses the water. He says, I have been there since the day of Noah. Abram, I'm still the same God, and I'm on a redeeming message to redeem my people. It's never changed. That same message is relevant to you and me today. As I conclude, what is the Egypt that you face? Jesus wants to take us away from that. And he takes us across the water so that you and I can live in freedom. He's calling us in this moment to say, Lord, I need to surrender to you. Verse 28 says, then they said to him, what must we do? And in verse 27, he says, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has sent, set the seal. Do not work for food, but for something eternal. And then he said, but what must we do? How do we do this work you ask of us? And here's Jesus giving them the answer. Maybe not what they expected. How do we work for this food? Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him. You want to work for God? Believe in him. This is the work of God. It's not what he does for us. It's believing in him. If there's one thing that could set our lives on the path of righteousness, on the path of eternal fruitfulness and eternal, you know, just honor of Jesus, that we would believe in him. That Christ will be the ultimate reason why you and I exist, why you and I sit here, why you, why you and I are waking up in the morning, we go to bed, and in the midst of it, yes, God does a lot of miracles to provide for us new things. But may we know Him. 
The purpose of miracles is very clear. John 20, verse 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even written in his book. But these are written, why? So that. But these are written, but. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is not Moses. He's not Elijah. He's not the president. He's not limited as a human being. He is the Son of God. And that you may believe in Him, that you may have life in His name. What is the purpose of science? Is that you and I will believe in Him. That He is not a man that He should lie. That He is the Son of God. This is the first place where the understanding and the proclamation of the Son of God was proclaimed. And then He says, So that why? Whence you believe in Him, that you may have life. Friends, the life that you and I are looking for is not in the stuff that we accumulate. It's not in the color of our skin. It's not just in the friendships we make. The life you and I are looking for is hidden in the revelation of Jesus Christ as being your Lord, your Christ. And even as a born-again believer, we run the risk that we grow up as much as these people are facing the religious mindsets of a preconceived idea of Jesus. We are facing the very same thing today that we have built up so many preconceives about Jesus. We may be missing the essence of the life that he wants to give us because we are missing who Jesus is. I want to ask you this morning, would you be willing to lay down your, every, every opinion and say, Lord, I want to know you. In the midst of your storm, I believe Jesus wants to touch people and I believe Jesus is the one who rescues us. He saves us from the storm. But this morning, I want to encourage you. Would you lift your eyes above the storm? In the other, and I think it's in Matthew, where you see the inclusion of Peter walking on the water. And most times when you read this message, people immediately jump to Peter walking on the water. And it's about keep your eyes on Jesus. But John deliberately left Peter out of this passage. Why? Because his whole message of John is about putting the primary focus on Jesus with no distraction. The focus is Jesus, guys. And he's inviting you, not just this moment, but into a lifestyle of devotion, faith in him. And when we go through the storms, you can trust him. Have your trust been hurt? Jesus asked you today, let him heal that. Are you fully convinced that he's the Lord? He is the Son of God. Why don't you by faith this morning say, Lord, I lay aside my doubts. I'm going to put my faith in you. Are you predefining who Jesus should be for you? Why don't we humble ourselves? Lord, sorry. I'm not going to paint a picture of who you should be. I'm going to submit to who you are. Let's close our eyes. Jesus, you know every single person in this hall. You know our storms. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure that you are born again, you're not sure that you've given your life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ where He takes control over your life and He leads you. You almost find yourself as part of the crowd. 
Jesus inviting you today, come to him. If you're not sure you're born again, would you raise your hand? I want to just pray with you. If you're not sure your life is right with God, anybody, you're sitting here this morning, you say, Lord, forgive me for imposing on you the kind of king you should be so that I can benefit. Today, I'm going to recognize you as king no matter what. Just where you sit, just, won't you take a moment, just pray whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to pray right now. a miracle to know who you are. And I pray now for a miracle to happen. Lord, as we've seen so many things, we look at our past, Lord God, and we see signs. But when the storm comes, we easily forget the signs. Lord, we look today and we ask you, would you become more real to us than the storms we face? Would you become more real to us than things that surround our lives daily? Lord, as you become more real to us, help us to live with you and for you on a daily basis. Taking your kingdom to the earth, taking your kingdom to people around us, proclaiming the good news that we have found the Savior who saved us from the storm and that same Savior can save you. Would you think about one person this morning that you know that needs the Savior? one person would you take a moment just now and pray for that one person Father we bring these names to you I see while you are praying I just saw these names going up into heaven it's almost like the angels were gathering these names and, and they were putting them together. Lord, now we call these people into your kingdom. We thank you for family and friends and people around us will get saved this year. This is the year of the Lord, the year of the good news. More people coming to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, from our own revelation of who you are, may we live a life different from the world. May we not be associating and be part of the crowd who wants to make of you something else. May we submit and embrace who you are follow you and build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so on earth. In Jesus' name.